If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open them up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17. And let me just start us off this way. It was January of 2005. I was walking down the steps of the building where I was working, and my phone began to vibrate in my pocket. I picked it up, answered the phone. I looked, I saw it was one of my wife's relatives. It wasn't my mother-in-law, but it was an aunt. She never calls me. I wondered what in the world's going on here. So I answered the phone, and she says to me words that I will never forget. Would you like to adopt a child? That's not your usual phone call, right? So I began to answer. Yeah, and about that time, I think the Spirit prompted me to say, before you answer, you should call your wife. These are things you need to discuss with her before you make a commitment to raise a child together. So I said, eh, let me call you back. I hung up the phone. I called my wife. I said, all right, I just got a weird phone call. I wanted to know if we wanted to adopt a child. My wife and I talked about it for a few minutes. It was about time for chapel. I was getting ready to have to head to, head to chapel. And we said, you know what? This is biblical. Spiritual adoption is all throughout the scripture. This is a biblical thing to do. Let's do it. And so I called her back and I said, we're in. We'll make it happen. I'll call you back after chapel. I'll get the details. Hung up the phone. That's all I knew. I walk into the chapel service. The guy leading the service that day said, if there's anything special on your heart to pray about, come down front and pray about it. I thought, okay, you know, what are you up to here, Lord? But yeah, I'm game. I'll go. So I walked down front. All my prayer was at that moment was, Lord, I'm going to go through this door. I'm not looking for a sign. I'm not looking for you to open up heaven's gates. All I want you to do is if this is not what you want, slam the door in my face and direct me another way. That's all I ask you. I get up, I go back to my seat. I was sitting over in this section, about four or five rows back toward the middle. And when I went to go back to my seat after that prayer, the only person I knew in that town that had adopted a child had sat in my seat in the middle of the prayer time. I said, okay, God, thanks for the confirmation. Didn't really need that, appreciate that. Sat down beside him, said, hey, I need to talk. We need to have dinner tonight. Can you do that? He said, yeah, sure. We had dinner with them. We had to get lawyers in two states. We had to get a doctor because you have to have a doctor before they'll let you adopt a child. I guess they want to make sure you're actually going to take care of the kid or something. I don't know. But you have to have that. You had to have home studies. All of these things had to happen. So we called the doctor's office for one of the best doctors in the area. We called and they said, you know what? There's like a six to 10 month waiting list to get this doctor is your doctor. And I said, look, I said, I don't, I'm not playing games. We're going to try to adopt a child, and I've got to have a doctor of record. What do I do? She said, hold on a second. She went back. She came back. She said, you've got your doctor. And I said, what happened? And she said, did you know that he was adopted? I had no clue. All right, go God number two, right? <laughs> so then we call the home study place. Call them. We say, hey, we got to get a home study. We're trying to make this thing happen quick. You know, we're trying to move along and, and we need to get a home study. They said, look, there's a month waiting list to do this. People plan out forever to get adoptions and these things don't just happen overnight. And I said, oh, yeah, you don't know my God, but let's get that home study thing scheduled, right? They said, all right, we'll get you scheduled for three weeks from now. I said, as soon as you can do it. And they said, yeah. So Monday morning, we get a phone call. You know what? We had two cancellations today. Can we come to your house right now and do the home study? So that started what we called the stash and dash. Y'all know what that looks like, right? Open up every closet, dash everything in there, close the closet door. And then as you're touring the house, you're standing in front of that door like this. You're not getting in this door. Keep going. There you go. Nice room over there. Go God number three, right? Nine days, start to finish. First phone call walking down the steps. Nine days later, we're in a different state in a lawyer's office. 
signing paperwork, and I'm walking out with a baby girl. Now, I told you guys I'm efficient. That is efficiency at its maximum, right? (laughs) Nine months to nine days. That's actually just a miracle of the Lord. And so I'm sitting there holding in my arms a baby girl, a little over six pounds. She was born small. She's in my arms. A girl that I had absolutely no relationship with, no legal responsibility with when I walked into that lawyer's office. When I walked out of that lawyer's office, she had a new name. She had somebody she could call daddy once she learned how to talk. She had somebody that would die at sunup for her. I remember I had her in my arms and I was reaching down to get a bag. And my mom looked at me and said, you want me to hold her while you're gathering your stuff? And, you know, it's, it's grand, grandma's first child. I understand that. But I looked at my mom and I said to my mom, she'll never be as safe as she is right now in daddy's arms. That girl, yeah, you know, you mess with me, that's not a good idea, all right? Fourth degree black belt. You mess with my wife, you got a problem. You mess with my daughter, that's God calling me to prison ministry from the inside. But that's just a glimpse. That's just a little bitty glimpse of what we see with spiritual adoption and what God Almighty does for us. That's just a tiny glimpse, the love that I have for my daughter, an imperfect love, a human love from a sinful man. That's just a glimpse of what God loves you and the way he loves you when we were adopted into his family as sons of the king. And look at what it says here in Romans chapter eight, verse 12. Let me read 12 through 17 to you. It says, so then, brothers, we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. This passage starts off, so then. Some of your translations may have therefore. You've got to look back and see what the conclusion this is to, what's previous to this that has led to this ultimate conclusion. And when you look back, if you were to read even a cursory reading through Romans, you would see that depending on the version or translation you're using, Romans chapter seven is I, me, my over 40 times. 40 times Paul talks about I, me, my, that struggle with that inner person and that I, me, my ends in 724 where he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And that's where a lot of us are today. When you say, I just don't have the joy of salvation, I have the struggle of sin, I do not do the things I want to do, I do the things I don't want to do, and I'm trying, I'm doing all this, and in that struggle with yourself to say, I'm trying to do it, we end up at that position of wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this flesh? Oh, but chapter 8 changes. Chapter 8 mentions the Spirit 22 times. And the contrast here between trying to live the spiritual life in and of yourself 
with the I, me, my, and trying to live the spiritual life in the power of the Spirit could not be more clearly noted as Paul starts off in chapter 8, verse 1, where he says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So then, if you're no longer trying to live in the I, me, my, You've realized it's by grace through faith that you were saved. Why then would you go back to law or to works to try to do your sanctification? It's by grace that you are going to be sanctified too by allowing the Spirit to work in your life, setting aside those sins that are afflicting you, focusing on what God has, putting those sins to death by the power of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. That's how you have ultimate victory. So then, brothers. What does the word brothers mean here now? We use that all the time. We use it at conferences. We use it at church. How do you use it at church? That guy that you've known for about four years and you still can't remember his name and you walk by him and you go, hey, brother, how you doing today? Good to see you. That person that's coming up to you to talk to you and you know you've seen them around campus all over the place and they come up to you and they, they smile real big and they look at you and they reach their hand out. Hey, and they call you by name and you're sitting there going, I don't have a clue who this is. Hey, brother. Yeah, you've used it that way before, right? And then on a university campus like this, there's that other use of the word brother. You know, that use of the word brother where there's this guy and he's got eyes for this girl and she's pretty. I mean, she's really pretty and she loves Jesus and this is it. He already is dreaming of how to make the Cedarville Awkward Couples page on Facebook. I mean, he's already striking the pose. He knows what he's going to do. This guy has long-range dreams of getting down on one knee at the bridge and making a proposal and all of his roommates coming and grabbing him and throwing him into Cedar Lake. He's already has it all planned out, right? So he gets up the courage. He's got it all built up inside him. He's all excited. He goes up to her and goes, I I think you're real nice. I want to treat you right. Would you like to go to Chuck's with me tonight? And then we can go see Munsters University afterwards. I'm going to take good care of you. And then he hears those words. You know, I like you like a... You've had this happen before. See, I've never had this happen to me before, but I've heard stories of other people, right? Yeah. Now, ladies, you know what that means translated into guy talk? You're ugly, you look bad, you smell funny, I don't like you, brother. <laughs> right? Is that, that's a, guys, can I get a witness of them in here? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So is that what Paul's doing? No, uh-uh. Paul doesn't want to date these people, not at all. What Paul's saying is brother as in brother in Christ. He's saying brother as in brother meaning Jew or Gentile. You are united, you are one in Christ. So then brothers, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. What does it mean we are debtors not to the flesh? Does that mean we neglect our body? We do away with our body? We don't want our body? We don't like our body? No, there's not some spiritual dualism here. That's not what's going on. It's not that the flesh is evil and that spirit is good because once you believe flesh is evil and the spirit is good, you have a Christological problem because Christ came in the flesh. And so that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about that 
fleshly desire, that sinful temptation that we all experience and we all know when our old nature wells up inside of us and causes us to be tempted to do something we shouldn't do, that bondage into sin, that slippery slope of spiritual slide that takes place that we have to hold off against. That's what he's talking about here when he says debtors, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, does he mean physical death? No, he means spiritual death. If you want to have a horrible spiritual life, you be a debtor to the flesh. If you want to have a glorious spiritual life, you don't be a debtor to the flesh. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a debtor to the flesh? If in your mind, and Paul talks about it up in chapter 8 a little earlier, earlier where he says, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Verse 6, for to set your mind on the thing of the flesh is death. Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. If in your mind all you think about all the time are fleshly things, she's pretty. I got to have her. He's a hunk. I got to have him. Money, I got to have it. That car, I need it. That reputation, I got to have it. That athletic scholarship, that's all I want. Pornography, materialism, pride. You set your mind on the things of the flesh, you will die spiritually. You set your minds on the things of Christ, living for Christ, the Bible, prayer, You focus your mind toward God and you will live and you will flourish spiritually. What does the flesh look like? You say, I don't quite get it yet. Go to a church league softball game. Go to an intramural event. You ever been there? We saw it the other night at the soccer game. I won't name the team that we played against, but they had a player that, boy, he was struggling with the flesh, wasn't he? Kicking the ball away from the referee to the other side of the field. There were some things. You see it when we compete athletically. We've all been there before. You're at that church league softball game and all of a sudden the fight breaks out. It was perfectly understandable, though, because that guy was clearly out at second base, and he slid in with cleats up high to break up that double play, and it wasn't even close. He shouldn't have done that. But that preacher's pretty passionate about church league softball. I mean, after all, this is the upper Midwest church league softball championship league with the World Series to come in a couple of months, right? And you see the flesh get out in us. She said something bad about me. You don't understand. You don't talk bad about me. I'm going to get back at her. And up comes the flesh. You don't know my roommate. It was quiet hours. And they were anything but. (laughs) If you knew about the socks that were left on my floor last night after soccer practice, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying now. Flesh, you got it? Inside of us. There's like a tsunami of temptation welling up and overcoming us. And when we give into it, it crashes us into the spiritual shore of despair. And our spiritual life goes absolutely nowhere. So then, brothers, we're not debtors to live according to the flesh. Don't set your mind on the things of the flesh. But look at this. It says, but if by the power of the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do I live the spiritual life? How do I grow spiritually while I'm at Cedarville? How do I flourish? It's this. It's if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Those temptations come up, but by the power of the Spirit, not the I, me, my, but the we. 
Now, this is a temptation I know all guys have. I'm not a girl. I don't know about the ladies, but I know every guy, when you walk out of a Rocky movie, what do you want to do? I want to fight. You walk out of a Rocky movie and a guy looks at you the wrong way and you're like, oh yeah, come on now. I mean, I'm just saying. (laughs) Didn't you see that movie? That's me. And the other guy's on the other side thinking, don't you look at me like that. Didn't you see that movie? That's me. I, me, my. In our minds, we are this man on an island, the Superman that nobody can touch. We are the guy that nobody better ever mess with. And so we think I walk into a cage and I'm gonna put them in a spiritual chokehold. I'm gonna throw them in a triangle choke or an arm bar and I'm gonna take care of it. And we realize that Romans chapter seven is all about that I, me, my pride that causes us to say, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And Romans eight is by the power of the spirit. And the sooner you realize you will not defeat the flesh and I, me, my, you will only defeat the flesh by the power of the Spirit, the better your spiritual life is going to be. He continues on here in verse 14. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit. Look at that as passive. It's not all who lead the Spirit. It's all who are led by the Spirit. It's our submission to the Spirit. So the Spirit says, go, and we go. The Spirit says, give it up, and we give it up. The Spirit says, do this, and we do this. The Spirit says, repent of this, we repent of this. The Spirit says, go share the gospel with this person. We go share the gospel with this person. The Spirit says, go apologize to this person. We go apologize to this person. It's we are led by the Spirit, passively allowing the Spirit of God in our lives, who, if we have been saved, lives in us to lead us in the right way, led by the Spirit of God, then we are sons of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I can't help but think when I look at the spirit of slavery to think back to the children of Israel and even the adoption that's present there in that story. You have Moses who's put in the river and then he's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and and you have this all taking place and then you have the children of Israel and Moses is told to go to Pharaoh and say about the children of Israel that God says, they are my firstborn. And so the whole nation of Israel adopted by God as his people and then they lead them out and all of the miracles that happened when they were led out through that Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground and they get out and what do they do when they're rescued? What do they do? Well, in Exodus 16, 2, they say, we're going to starve, Moses. In Exodus 17, 2, they say, we need water. We're going to thirst to death. In Exodus 32, 1, they go, who are you, Moses? Who is this to lead us and tell us? In Numbers 11, 1, they complain. In Numbers 11, 5, they say, okay, you gave us food, but we're sick of it. It's the end of the semester, and I'm tired of Chucks. That's what they're saying. They're complaining. And in Numbers 14, 2, they say, we would have been better off to die in Egypt rather than to be rescued. Now, I don't want to spiritualize the Old Testament, but isn't that the story of all of us? God miraculously saves us when we repent of our sins and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He saves us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to live in us. We have a spirit of adoption. We have the power of the Spirit living in us. We are sons of the Almighty King. And then all of a sudden, things start happening and we go, God, I thought this was going to be easier. God, I thought I was really getting an added luxury feature to my new car. God, why is this life so hard? I would have been better off. And we complain. But we weren't given a spirit of slavery. You say, oh, this is not slavery. It's Christian freedom. I can do whatever I want. Once you're addicted to sin, it's slavery. You've got to have it. 
It overcomes you, it controls you, it takes your thoughts, it takes your time, it's your desire, and you're enslaved to it. And we are not given that spirit to stay in slavery to sin, but it says we are given a spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I came home from church preaching one Sunday. I sat down on my couch, and in the house we were in at that time, it had a wraparound staircase, and I knew something was wrong because usually when I open the door, I have a little girl that runs and jumps up in my, in my arms and gives me a huge bear hug. And I have a little boy running around going, daddy's home, daddy's home. And all of a sudden on this occasion, I didn't hear a whole lot. And so I thought, this is not right. I wonder what's going on. I sit down on the couch, tired, look up at the staircase and I see some hair peek around the corner. And it goes back. I go, oh, okay, she's playing hide and seek. It's fine, we'll play this game. Then all of a sudden, I see that head peek around the corner again. It goes back. She looks. I can see all of her head and her hair, but not her eyes. Why is it we think if we can't see people, they can't see us? I don't know. She looks. Finally, I see her, and I go, come here, Rachel. She walks down the steps like this. Any of you ever done that? She sits down beside me. I said, what's wrong? She goes, I'm in trouble. I said, I knew that. (laughs) What's wrong? What'd you do? She's sitting on the far side of the couch. I'm sitting here. Come here. Tell me what you did. She scoots over. I ate candy and hid the wrappers up on top of the cabinet so that mommy wouldn't find out and she found them. (laughs) Think about it. This girl that I've just told you I would die at sunup for is sitting on the opposite side of the couch from me for what reason? There's sin that has separated her from the father who loves her more than anybody else on this earth. And there are some of you right here today that there is sin that separates you from the God that loves you more than anybody or anything you could possibly imagine. The God that loves you for who you are right now, warts and all. The God that loves you and doesn't want anything from you in return. That God loves you and there's a sin that's causing you to, to walk sheepishly toward God with a finger in your mouth and your head down and you're not living the life of an adopted son. You're living the life of fear. That's not who we are. When we have been saved, we are sons of the king. You say, well, wait a second. Why is it not sons and daughters? Daughters had a relationship with the king. Sons had a relationship with the king and an inheritance from the king. And what we learn here is that we all, male and female, have been adopted as sons, meaning all of us have a relationship with the king and we have an inheritance from the king. You want an inheritance, I promise you, you're much better off getting an inheritance from God than you are getting an inheritance from somebody like me. Think about what he owns and what he has and what he can give you. We are sons and we have the spirit of adoption and as sons we cry out, Abba, Father. The Aramaic there reminds us back to Mark 14, 36 where Jesus is in the garden and he cries out, Abba, Father, let this cup pass by me. Daddy, how do you resist sin and temptation in your life when the sin and temptation comes by the power of the spirit? You cry out, Abba, Father, help me. You turn to God. You don't try to resist it in and of your own power. You go to the word. You get to your friends. You go to God. You let the power of the spirit help you overcome that sinfulness. 
I was at the zoo. The same daughter who was so far away from me, I'd taken to the zoo. And we're at the zoo and we're looking at the lions and the lions in the cage. Is, it's great to look at the lions, but have you ever heard one roar when you're right there at the cage? And so we're sitting there at the cage and we're looking and we're talking about the pretty little putty cat and we're, we're you know, isn't he pretty? Oh, he's so nice. And about that time, the lion looks at us and goes, roar! You know what happens? My daughter looks at me and says, Father, I would like to see the papers that prove you're my legitimate father. Would you pull out the adoption papers now so that I could make sure that that's who you are? No. She jumps in my arms and she grabs a hold of my neck and she tucks her head right beside mine. And I have to admit, I really liked it. There's just something inside of a dad that loves it when the daughter turns to him for protection. And there's absolutely nothing I could have done with that lion. But you know what I told her? I said, it's all right. I got you covered. (laughs) If that lion had gotten out of that cage, the only thing I could have done is thrown her behind a tree and let it eat me instead. But we have a father up above who is all-powerful. We have a father up above who is the lion. And when we turn to him with Abba, Father, he will help us. We have a spirit in himself that bears witness with our spirit that we are children with God. My daughter didn't ask me for adoption papers because she's got a spirit that says, that's my daddy. I know that's my daddy. And if you don't believe me, then watch this. And she can come anytime she wants to. I don't care who I'm meeting with. My daughter comes to the office. That meeting stops and my daughter gets a hug. End of discussion. It's not that I don't think you're important. It's just that's how important she is. And we are children of the king and we shouldn't let sin separate us or cause us to have fear. Our Our spirit cries out with the spirit of God testifying to us, Abba, Father, we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him. The Bible never promises you that Christianity is the American dream with Jesus added to it. In fact, the Bible promises you in John 16, 33, that in this world you will have tribulation. And then it says, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world you're going to have hard days you're going to have hard days in chemistry you're going to have hard days in math you're going to have hard days when you take professors like Dr. Lee who takes off points if the staples the wrong way on the paper at least that's what he did for my wife and we won't let him forget about it in the midst of those hard days what do you do cry out, Abba, Father. You may be here today. We've got a lot of guests. You may say, I don't know what you're talking about. To cry out, Abba, Father, you have to have transitioned from that time of being lost to being saved. You have to transition to the time where you recognize your own sinfulness and you recognized and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And at that moment, you were saved. If you've been saved and you're in this room and you are saved, you are a child of the king, the spirit testifies within you that you are a believer. Do not live your life. Do not live your time at Cedarville as a slave to sin, but live your time at Cedarville powerfully as a son of the almighty God. You know what my prayer is for you? My prayer is that for every one of you, that you're gonna live in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're gonna be led by the Spirit, through the Spirit. You're gonna put to death those sins and you're gonna grow spiritually while you're at Cedarville. So much so that when you walk across that stage, you're gonna put a foot on a step and you're gonna say, I don't wanna leave because this is where God has made himself real to me. I've grown so close to him. My faith is my own, but I'm prepared for whatever God brings ahead.
With this, I close. The day of finalization had come. We didn't travel back. We were on the phone. We had a notary public. I was talking to the judge. The judge said, do you realize that you've got to keep this girl until she's 18? I said, yes, sir. He said, no, no, no. Do you realize that once I sign these papers laying in front of me on the desk, that she is yours, whether you like it or not, she is yours until you're 18? And, you know, me with my sarcastic, funny, try to be funny anyway attitude, I said, and at the point of adoption? And then I realized, this is a judge in a courtroom somewhere. And so I said, yes, yes, yes sir, your honor. Yes, sir. I, I, I get it. Uh-huh. Sorry about that. The judge signs the paperwork. That afternoon, I got to thinking about it. We have a mentality in America and otherwise where we don't realize that once we're adopted, we're adopted for life. For the good, for the bad. I had a spiritual view of earthly adoption that once I adopted my daughter, she's mine. She's never getting away from me. When you've been adopted by God in heaven, it doesn't matter what sin you're trapped in. It doesn't matter what struggle you have. It doesn't matter where you are spiritually. He is your king. Live like it. Turn to him. By the power of the spirit, put to death those deeds of the flesh. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray for all of our students, Lord, that you would make yourself known in their lives. Father, that you would help them to put to death the flesh and to live by the power of the Spirit, that you would be glorified and that at Cedarville University, we would make much of you and little of ourselves. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.